Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. My name is Phil Crimmins. I'm still here in Thailand, but good news, it looks like the COVID-19 coronavirus is starting to uh, run its course, at least in Sichuan and Chengdu, where I'm from. So I'm predicting I'll stay in Thailand maybe another week or two and then head back because already restrictions are starting to lift and... Uh, that means that I can get back to work as normal, but like I said the last time I was on the podcast, it has been easy to work here in Thailand, and that is thanks to all of you who are part of the Mandarin Blueprint Method and participate in the course. It's uh, excellent stuff, and we really appreciate it. I particularly feel grateful that it's possible for me to continue my work, even if uh, an epidemic virus displaces me for about a month. No, it's been no problem and I have all of you to thank for it. So first let's get into a grammar point. Today's grammar point covers the tag GW, how does what, how often, lu. So we've been talking a lot about adverbs and there are different types of adverbs, the kind that can express tone of voice, in what range something happens, to what degree something happens, but this one is about frequency. So do you always do something? How about sometimes? How about often? How about seldom? These are all possible adverbs that you could use to express these ideas. And so we're going to look through some sentences to get a sense of how these adverbs of frequency work. but. Uh, I will just mention that there are a lot of adverbs of frequency that are not yet covered in phase four of the course, which is where this particular video is going to live. But it doesn't matter because the key with grammar is to unconsciously first and maybe consciously second recognize a pattern and know what you can stick into the different patterns because luckily... Chinese grammar is really simple. There are no declensions, there's not a lot of word form changes, there's no genders. So as a result, you can quite easily treat grammar like a puzzle game. And it's like, okay, what fits into this particular slot? And what could I change out? What puzzle pieces could I switch out and change the meaning, but ultimately still be an adverb of frequency? Well, once you spot the pattern, then any new word you get is just a new puzzle piece that you can add, but you've already got the pattern in place, so it doesn't matter that you don't know all these other words. So we'll go over some of them at the end, but don't worry about it if you don't recognize some of them. But first we're gonna cover sentences that are in the course and that you've seen already. So the first sentence, 我常常想起来他说过的话. This sentence means I often think of what she said. So without 常常, this just means I think of what she said. 我常常想起来她说过的话. That 常常 makes it so that it is now a thing that occurs often or frequently. And it makes sense because 常 as a character means ordinary or common. So double ordinary. 常常. Well, sure, that makes sense why that would mean often. So that one is very frequent. By the way, that's the same 常 as in 非常, which we talked about in the adverbs of degree video. Now let's look, look at the next sentence. 你总是吃米饭. So 你总是吃米饭 just means you always eat rice. You don't just eat rice. That would be 你吃米饭. It's you always eat rice. So there's a sister sentence here, which is 你老是吃米饭. Now you haven't learned the word 老师 yet, but this word is the exact same meaning, except it definitely implies a negative connotation. 总是 isn't necessarily negative or positive. It's more just a statement uh, about the frequency. But 老师 also has 
an additional connotation that this is a negative thing that, for example, you always eat rice. So the difference between them is that the first one could just be a statement of fact, whereas the second one is a statement of judgment to a large degree. And so you're not a fan of something if you say lao shi. Now, all, another thing to mention about zong shi is that it can be used literally, as in like New Year's Day is always January 1st, or a rhetorical device. For example, you always take me for granted. That would be the type of thing that is not literally true, but it, it could be uh, used in that way. Okay, let's look at another two sentences that both have essentially the same function, but with two different words. So the first sentence is, 我想点面包,还想点啤酒. Right, so that would mean, I would like to order bread and also beer. The next sentence is, 下午我想吃面包,也想吃鱼. Right, so this would mean I want to eat bread in the afternoon and I also want to eat fish. Now, a question that might come up is why are we separating it? Why would you just not say 我想点面包和啤酒? So that sentence is just connecting 面包 and 啤酒 with 喝. So that's just a I want to order bread and beer. So why would you have the other one that kind of separates them by using hai or ye? Well, hai and ye emphasize that the speaker also wants something in a sequence. So the frequency of it is that it's it's they also want that, which means that they need to add that second item to emphasize there's some distinction there. For example, in the first sentence, the speaker wants to maybe make clear a distinction between their food order and their drink order, which is kind of a thing that uh, you might do at a restaurant. Um, usually you'll order drinks first, and then you'll order food after. Or if you want to, to order all at once, you can imagine somebody saying, you know, they say their food order and they go, oh yeah, and also I want beer. And then uh, the uh, second sentence might be that the speaker is trying to express that typically bread would be enough for them to eat uh, in the afternoon, but in this case, they also want to eat fish. Now, it's not necessarily written into the sentence, but that's the type of context where you might use either of those. So both hai and ye emphasize also. They get across also, and they usually there's some type of sequence involved or some sort of need to emphasize the distinction between the two things you're saying. Now let's move on to sentence number five. Here's the sentence. 我想再吃一个这种面包. So here we use 再, which means again. So the frequency here is just to do something once and then do it again. So 再, before an action, communicates that you've done it before and you want to do it again, either now or in the future. And while English usually places again at the end of the sentence, Chinese stays consistent by placing the adverb before the action. So we tend to go, uh, I want to eat one piece of this type of bread again, but they will say, I'd like to again eat one piece of this type of bread. So that's when you use zai for that. Now we're going to go back to zai in a minute because zai only refers to things that could be happening again in the present or the future, not the past, but we'll get to that in a moment. Next sentence here is 我经常交朋友. So this is very similar to 常常. I often make friends. Now, uh, 经常 and 常常, the only major difference is that sometimes 经常 can be used in an adjective form, but we'll talk about that somewhere else because this is all about adverbs today. But um, 
the negative for both Jingchang and Changchang is Bu Chang. So if you want to say that something does not often happen, you could just change it to Bu Chang, and the sentence suddenly turns to I don't often make friends. And whether it's Changchang or Jingchang, you know, there's no Bu Jingchang, it's only Bu Chang. Bu Chang is the opposite. Now, sentence number seven here, this is bringing it back to that idea of how do you express again as a matter of frequency. Well, if you use, if you're explaining something and you're trying to say that something happened again in the past, you'll use the character Yo. So it's not written perfectly, I wrote it again. So the important thing to note when using yo is that Chinese makes a distinction between things that happened again and things that will happen again. It's a question of the past versus the present and future. And so in the above sentence, it's that the rewriting is already complete. And that's why we say 我又写了一次. Now compare these three sentences to get an idea of how this works. Here's sentence one. 我写了一次. I wrote it once. Next sentence. 我又写了一次. I wrote it again. Final sentence. 我再写一次. I will write it again. And so that's the difference between 又 and 再. And they both mean again, they're both adverbs of frequency, but the main difference is the future versus the past. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of this video, there are plenty of other adverbs of frequency, and I've listed a bunch of them below. There's loads. And any of these you could theoretically put in to the slot of where the adverb goes and change the meaning of the sentence. So for example, 从不 and 从来不 both mean never, so they're adverbs indicating low frequency. Then there's a bunch of adverbs that in indicate medium frequency. Uh, I'll leave it to you to look at all of them, but the one I want to point out here is 有时候有时候 because that one means sometimes, and that's a really common word of frequency to use. So, for example, 我有时候想点面包 would mean I sometimes want to order bread. So you get the idea of there that 有时候 there are, it literally means there are times, have times. So sometimes, it's pretty straightforward. And then there's also some adverbs that indicate really high frequency. Again, I'll leave it to you to look at all of the uh, different ones you could use, but the one I want to point out here is 一直一直 uh, means continuously or always or has always. So um, if somebody were to say uh, that would mean that person has always been uh, lovely and uh, open-hearted and wonderful, right? And so by saying you're indicating that it's always been the case, it's continuously happened. Um, the only difference between and is that implies that there hasn't really been a stoppage in it. Whereas, for example, um, just means it's kind of like implies that when you eat, you always eat rice, but it's not like you're continuously eating rice all the time. <laughs> that would be kind of funny. fan <laughs> would mean literally you're just continuously eating rice, just never stops. And so that would be, uh, that person wouldn't be very long for this world. So that's the grammar tag GW, how does what, how often, 副词, 频率.
Next, we're going to do something that we haven't done for several podcasts because we haven't gotten any submissions, but we just got a submission of an audio recording that we can now critique. And if you'd like to do this, you can send a recording of you uh, speaking out loud one of the dialogues or opinions or stories or uh, full stories. If you'd like to get a critique from us where we give you some advice on how to improve your pronunciation, you can send it over to contact at mandarinblueprint.com. This is going to be a critique of an audio from Level 25, My Dog Toto, submitted by uh, Christos. Uh, he's either from the Ukraine or Russia. I had to look up on Google how to pronounce his name because he submitted it in the Cyrillic alphabet, which I'm not familiar with. But I nonetheless am uh, going to give him the critique here. And uh, I just wanted to say before we get into this, that overall, this is very good. Um, a Chinese person would definitely be able to understand uh, this, there are some small uh, areas where you might have missed a tone, and I'll compare it to Jerry's audio in a few places. Uh, but uh, overall, this was a very good um, recording. And again, this is from the Level 25 short story called My Dog Toto. So let's uh, give it a listen. I really like this opening sequence. Uh, I might have some minor nitpicks if I wanted to, but it's really not necessary. This is a very good start. Uh, it sounds very understandable. The tones are correct. Uh, maybe you could have a little bit of a higher start on Toto, Toto. And uh, I might have a minor nitpick around how you said Yang, because maybe it'd be a little, you kind of say like Bu Yang, which is a little bit more back of the throat. And uh, it really should be Bu Yang which is more towards the front of the throat, but it's very minor, absolutely would easily be understood by a Chinese person. Now this part is once again understandable, but let's listen to how Jerry said it and compare them. So as you can see there, Jerry's flows a little bit more, and I understand why uh, Christos perhaps got this a little bit off because most Chinese words are two characters and you can kind of put the tone pairs together. But this is 从来不, which is the char uh, the word that is three characters long. 从来不吃午饭. It should all just flow like Jerry had it, uh, but there was a little bit of a stop and start there. But once again, not difficult to understand, just a little bit of a uh, false start there by uh, Christos. 有一天,我的一个朋友给我说,臭臭现在 so as you can see, when you compare the, the last bit there uh, that Christos said versus how Jerry said it, uh, it was the xianzai that got a little bit off, and then yongming. Uh, Christos said yongming, which is, I noticed that a lot of the mistakes that Christos made in this one was reverting one of the other four tones to first tone, uh, which, you know, is a very common thing for foreigners to do. So it's just, if you're aware of that as a possible mistake, then you can fix it. I mean, everybody's going to make lots of tone mistakes. Uh, you know, I still make tone mistakes from time to time. Uh, Luke does. It's just a thing that happens. But um, there was a couple of tone mistakes there on xianzai and yongming. Xianzai, yongming. So just uh, bear that in mind. So the biggest issue with this bit was just the paijiao. That's really important to get that one right because it's a really common word, but it's also a first tone, fourth tone, tone pair, which is a little bit tough. Uh, so make sure you say it like Jerry does. 很多人都等着和他拍照。拍照。
Now, this type of thing where we have a uh, incorrect tone pair or a changing of the tones, this happens a fair few times. So I'm just going to point out a few more times that it happens. So I'm going to skip around a little bit in the story, uh, but we'll compare them to how Jerry does it, and then you'll get a sense of how we can improve there. 然后，这个人拍完照就给了抽抽五元。然后，这个人拍完照就给了抽抽五元。so in this passage, uh, Christos has good pronunciation the whole way through, but the tones are a little bit uh, off. And the first one, and the one that I'll comment on here, is the uh, Christos said, uh, which is more like a uh, second tone, third tone, kind of like how you would say or um, but it should be uh, I've noticed that fourth tone so far has been a little bit tough for Christos, you're wanting to make it a little bit too low most of the time, uh, starting too low. And the risk of starting a fourth tone too low is that it ends up sounding like a third tone. So remember, a fourth tone starts way up high around the same level as a first tone and then falls all the way down. Ho. Ho. Right? So if you were to isolate the first pitch, it's higher, right? And you'll hear when Jerry does it, it's uh, it's flows very nicely and so and as it should with the second tone fourth tone up down so I like this passage because it illustrates again what I was saying about how a fourth tone is giving uh, Christos a few problems here so um, he says 没想到, right so it's kind of low it's 没想到, 没想到. So that's a fir the first time that it happens. And uh, the then you'll notice that when Jerry says, 还要收钱, 还要收钱, that 还要 is quite quick, but it's still 要, 还要, 还要. Whereas um, I believe Christoph said 还要. So it sounds like what Christoph, what you're doing a lot, is making second tone, fourth tone into second tone, third tone, and then sometimes just saying fourth tone more like a third tone. So what you'll want to work on specifically is your fourth tones and making sure they start nice and high. Now I'm going to skip ahead just a bit here. 下班后就拿着钱去吃肉, so in this section, I want to focus on the four times that Christos said "ro," And it's interesting because one time was pretty much perfect, uh, but the other two times were off in the tone. So let's listen to the, the four times that Christoph said "ro." "ro." That one's correct. Let's listen to the next three. So you'll notice in these three that the first one he says as first tone. The next one he mimics the same thing and says first tone again. Then the final one is second tone. And what's interesting about these is that uh, they are tone pairs. They're just not the correct tone pairs. So the first one, it should be which is again that second tone, fourth tone that seems to be giving uh, Christos a little bit of trouble. Uh, same thing with um, but then the final one, that's another first tone, fourth tone. So second tone, fourth tone, and first tone, fourth tone are the are definitely ones to work on here. But the interesting thing is, as I said before, what he said was, which is second tone, first tone, second tone, first tone. Then he said, 
uh, ji rou, which is first tone, second tone. So they are tone pairs that exist in a language, which tells me that you're hearing in Chinese. You're hearing properly the tones in Chinese. You're just kind of missing. You're getting the wrong tone pair on them. But nonetheless, though, you're getting close. Like you're getting to the point where you're substituting the tone pairs where you're, that you're a little bit weaker on with the tone pairs you're stronger on. And so that's the type of thing that as long as you keep practicing your tone pairs, you will eventually fix up. So um, it's actually a good sign that you're replacing them with other tone pairs in the language because it tells me that you're thinking in Chinese. You're just not quite getting it right. So you'll notice here in the last bit that uh, Christos is pretty good. That last bit is really, uh, you know, I could, again, I could have some minor nitpicks, but generally that's right on. And so one of the things I've noticed is that um, you're good at second tone, third tone. Uh, that's two second tone, third tones. Actually, um, you've got a lot of... Uh, confidence in that second tone, third tone. So with that awareness, that should, you know, help you realize where you're good and where you could use a little bit of improvement. So as a review, fourth tone in general is giving you some problems. Uh, first tone, fourth tone, and second tone, fourth tone are also a little bit of a struggle, but you're good at third tone, second tone. Um, it sounds like you're also good at second tone, first tone, and um, first tone, second tone. So those are your strengths. First tone, second tone, second tone, first tone, second tone, third tone, and you need some work on fourth tone in general, first tone, fourth tone, and second tone, fourth tone. And other than that, though, you're doing very well. And from a pronunciation perspective, uh, it was really good. You would definitely be able to be understood by a Chinese person. I do not think they would struggle to follow you because you're not really missing the... Um, the core initials and finals. Again, there could be nitpicks I could go for, but where you're at now, the, mo the highest priority is to fix up those tone pairs. So keep using the tone pairs deck in the Mandarin Blueprint method from the uh, Pronunciation Mastery course, and that should help you out. Let's move on to some of the questions that came up during the week. So first question that came up is from Pedri. He said, hi, I just came across this sentence card in the Anki Grammar deck. What is the meaning of chu in this sentence? And what's the difference if I say So the only difference is that if you say What that is indicating is that you have no particular idea of whether or not they're going somewhere to do something. Like maybe you're just asking your friend, what are you up to this weekend? And you're at their house. Well, maybe they're going to be at their house. So... You shouldn't say because you don't know that they're going somewhere. By adding chu, you're saying uh, it's like where are you doing? Uh, where are you going to? And what are you doing? It's sort of kind of fitting both questions in there. And the assumption is that the first in the first sentence, the person knows that their friend or whoever they're talking to is going somewhere, but they just don't know what they're going to be doing. So uh, that's basically the difference. And it's pretty straightforward in that sense. Another similar type of question from Kathleen Gans in the community. She says, I came across this word in a Chinese video where the girl was in a bookstore and told the staff she was a nerd. Shu dai zi. Dai means dumb. So this word seems contradictory. But dai also means to have stayed in a place. So with this word, does it mean to stay with books or book dumb? Maybe too dumb to be interested in other things. And so there's kind of a, a one, there's a few answers to this question, but 
what I thought was kind of interesting is that ultimately the goal with language is to know enough words and know how to put them together to be able to communicate and understand the people around you. And I feel confident that Kathleen is never going to forget this word because you've already run through uh, several thoughts about the word, like, and sort of automatic mnemonic devices, like, oh, I'm, uh, you know, if you're a nerd, you stay with books, and, or you're book dumb, you're a shudaizu, and either way, you've just come up with two mnemonic devices for how to remember that shudaizu means nerd. Now, that said, daizu does mean, like, um, sort of uh, idiot, right? And so I guess you can make, because nerd used to be uh, a pejorative even in English. Now it's more of a, <laughs> it's almost a term of endearment these days, and, uh, you know, that's good. It's obviously a good thing, but there was a time when calling somebody a nerd was definitely an insult. And so if you think of it like an insult, what are the jocks saying when they're calling somebody a nerd and they mean it's an insult? They're saying, you don't get anything else other than books. So like, you might be smart in the realm of books, but ultimately you're a, a book dumb or book idiot. So, uh, Obviously, I get the point you're making about it seems contradictory because aren't nerds smart? Um, but it's kind of like a, it's not looking at it from that specific like intelligence quotient frame. It's looking at it more from like you're not very well-rounded. All you look at is books, that kind of thing. So still, though, you're never going to forget it. So that's awesome. Next, we have a, a point made by Dan in the community that I wanted to comment on. He's talking about level 40 in the intermediate course where there's five characters that are quite close, sorry, six characters that are quite close to each other. They are bien, bien, pian, bien, pian, pian. So we have three that have the pinyin bien in different tones and three that have the pinyin pian in different tones. And all of them contain uh, the same components. So naturally you can imagine that that component is the phonetic indicator. And so... We have different usages here. The first one, bien, means flat. Then we have bien, which is to weave or fabricate or write and organize. You have um, pien, which means uh, prejudiced or, or slanting towards one side. You have uh, bien, which means everywhere or a measure word for times that you did something. So, for example, I say, bien, uh, would mean I looked at it one full time. And that's different from because bien means for sure you read the whole thing. So if I look at a book and I say, that would mean I read the entire book for sure. Um, and then we have pian, which is a measure word for uh, like a leaf or like a very, very flat piece of something and then or also a piece of writing. And then pian, which means to cheat. And it's like, wow, these are all similar pronunciations. So you're going to have similar actors, and they're all going to be in your AN set. And they're going to be in some different rooms, but they've got these different meanings. And at least one of the props is the same because uh, it's the right side prop and sometimes the, uh, the bottom prop are all the same. So couldn't this get confusing? And first of all, at this point, Dan, because you're already in the intermediate course, you're getting a lot of context and so you're going to be able to see all of these in the different contexts that they're used. Because while the characters have some similarities in terms of their, um, you know, obviously they're very close in pronunciation and they all share a component. So, for example, 
一篇文章 means one uh, article. So the pian is the measure word for article. That's never going to really be used in the same context as, say, uh, for example, pian, which is the most common word is probably pian jian, which is uh, prejudiced. And so you'd be like, well, what, how often are you going to use those two together? And then pian, for example, the final one there, which means to cheat, well, that's going to be used in some really highly emotional contexts, right? So you're going to use that in the context of like, ta pianlo he cheated me. Or uh, the word pianzi is a cheater or the person who does the cheating. It's like, tashika pianzi. Like he's, he's a cheat, don't trust him, or he's a liar, right? And so that's highly emotional. You'll be able to remember that one. And bien, uh, for example, which I already mentioned, that is the word for uh, time. So wokali bien. That's a measure word for time. So for the most part, um, you're going to find that that one is used so often, you'll get it through that context. And then the other three might be used in different contexts that aren't as common. Uh, certainly the final three here are a little bit more common than the first three. But as long as you make the, the part of the character that sticks out, the different parts. So in, in bian, it's silk. In pian, it's the Chuck Norris or person component. In bian, it's the road component. In pian, it's bamboo. And in pian, it's the horse. So make the component that is unique really stand out in your Hanzi movie method story. And then if you do that, I think that you'll find that from both layers, from the context that you see it in sentences, and then of course, emphasizing the unique character component will help you get these six characters distinct in your mind clearly enough. And uh, of course, if you wanna see any of these characters, they're all in the show notes below. Next from Richard, we have, hi there, do, Buyao and bie mean the same thing when telling someone not to do something. For example, don't talk. Buyao shuo hua or bie shuo hua. Uh, and the answer is, uh, yeah, they mean the exact same thing. The only small difference is that um, bie won't really be used in formal writing. It's very spoken. So, but otherwise, they mean the same thing. So, if you're going to write something formally, you'll use buyao. But you could you could totally say. Buyao in spoken Chinese, no, no problem at all. And of course, you know, buyao can also mean to not want or won't do something. But in this context, for example, buyao shuo hua, that's just direct command, don't speak. And uh, it's the same as bie. Next, we have a uh, question from Richard that says, Hi guys, I've been watching the Chinese drama Ode to Joy about several women living as neighbors and working in Shanghai. Well, first of all, good job. You should, watching Chinese shows will definitely help you uh, pick up on a lot of things. In one episode, there is a heated altercation with another neighbor. One woman calls the other Fan Jian. And so, uh, I'll get more into that in a second. The subtitle translator, who appears to not be a native English speaker, translated it as uh, a very bad word that starts with a C. And uh, I suspected the translator had chosen too strong a term, especially as the show was on mainstream Chinese TV, and so looked up the Chinese subtitle. The Dong Chinese Dictionary doesn't even list it, and Google Translate gives treacherous. Wiktionary says low colloquial, often as a term of abuse to have no respect for oneself. I guess the B word and uh, uh, the S word might be comparable terms in English, although don't really capture the meaning. How would you translate it? How strong is this word? So the translator who 
translated this definitely i mean you know far be it for me to criticize a translator but that's not how i would translate this particular word now i don't see the surrounding context um of what they were saying specifically i get the context the emotional context because you explained it but i don't see the actual language-based context uh but i can tell you this fan is a verb that is usually put before something that's negative so for example fan zui means to commit a crime. So zui is a crime and fan zui is to commit a crime. And then it can also be converted into a noun, uh, fan zui meaning a criminal. But usually that's its main usage. It's like fan and then something after it. Fan tuo is uh, to make a mistake. So it's the make in make a mistake. So one of the reasons that fan is a little bit tough to translate directly is because in English we'll use different words for the what the Chinese consider to be a similar concept. You can fan kun, which means to uh, suddenly feel tired. It's as if you were had an uh, you were hit by fatigue suddenly. Um, and so again, it's kind of a negative in the verb there. Now, let's look at the other character, Jian. Now, Jian is a pretty low-based character. It's a pretty harsh character. It means uh, you know, uh, low, deplorable, uh, kind of terrible in a low, debased way. And so if you call somebody a jianren, you're basically saying you're a scumbag, right? Like, and then if you say fan jian, it's like saying you committed uh, deplorability or you expressed being deplorable or you expressed being a scumbag or something. Well, jianren scumbag, but you expressed... Uh, scummy behavior, right? And so I would actually look at this as a verb and see it as saying you committed the act of being low and base and vulgar. So you could think of it like that. Um, saying that it means the see you next Tuesday word is, well, that's a noun, and I don't see it as being that. Um, unless it's like that same thing with fan zui, where fan zui is usually means to commit a crime, but like it can also be considered a criminal. So uh, if that is the case, then uh, maybe it means that. But uh, generally I see fan as being a verb and then the, the word after it being the way that the verb happened in like the negative term. So Rick, on new vocabulary unlocked for buguo. Another way of creating flashcards now that we are accumulating more and more characters, especially when finding it hard to illustrate abstract ideas, is to put a synonym in the pictures field if we know one. So I'm using dan shi in my clue for bu guo. Hopefully they're more or less the same. At least it will remind me of a similar phrase. I mean, they're close enough. Uh, they're, the slight difference is that dan shi is a little bit stronger, and bu guo is kind of like, the way I like to think of it is like... Um, you would definitely use guo in a situation where you maybe gave somebody a slightly negative piece of information, but then you're like, but there's this other thing, you know, so um, the paper is going to be delayed for another week, but it's going to be even better as a result. You know, it's like you'd kind of use that guo to indicate that there's a good turn, whereas like then sure might be the opposite. It might be like, uh, you know, something where you're saying here's this thing that's happening, but you better still be aware of this other thing. You know, that's kind of how you would use dan shi. And I mean, ultimately, they both mean the same thing. It's called a zhuan a turn in the uh, conversation, which is what B-U-T usually does. Tom, on new vocabulary unlocked for 起来, he asks, could you use 
ji in place of xiang in the examples involving recalling a sentence. For example, could you say 我记起来一句话 instead of 我想起来一句话. So um, technically, you could do that. Um, there's nothing grammatically wrong about it. It's just not that common. Uh, usually, people will say 想起来 as opposed to 记起来. I never really hear people say 记起来. Uh, it was one of those things where just to be sure, I searched it on a couple of um, like uh, websites just to see is it, do, do people say this because I never hear people say it, but it's possible because there's nothing that looks wrong about it grammatically. And every example I found was very weird and obscure. And so I was like, okay, this sounds like the type of thing you could technically say, but it's just not common at all. So if you want to say you, you've thought of something or you remembered something, uh, it, it has arisen in the moment, like Chilai. Say Xiang Chilai. Pedri Nakamura on Make a Movie Pa. He asks, what's the difference between Xia and Pa? So it's essentially the difference between the action of scaring and feeling scared. So um, Pa is the emotion. It's like a, you would say Pa to indicate that you are frightened, but Xia is like. A snake jumped out and and the snake scared you. You know, uh Right, so the Shua is snake. Xia is to scare. Dao is the result, which means successful. Lo wo. So it, it the snake scared me, essentially what that would mean. And so the snake made me feel pa, but the action it took was xia, if that makes sense. All right, next we have Rick on new vocabulary unlocked for Buguo. He says, so the definition of to not surpass or to not go over is metaphorical, i.e. numbers, amounts, but not physical, for example, to go over a bridge. So this question is like, so Guo, uh, the answer to this question is really that you're going to get a sense of how this works when you see the other characters that get combined with Guo. Um, the, the problem is there's some... It's not very clear sometimes when something is metaphorical and when something is literal. And Chinese does blur the lines between those things a lot. So it's I'm, I'm hesitant to say, like, you could never say that to mean physically, physically passing something. But usually you'll add another character. So, for example, if I want to say I have passed or I've crossed, say, for example, the street, I would say guo. If I want to say that I surpassed someone maybe uh physically maybe but more likely uh metaphorically i might say chao guo um and i if i were going to say that i was i caught up with somebody literally i might say gan shang gan shang uh, but the point is that guo often has something that'll be put before it that gives a better indication of what's happening jing guo can mean to pass by something on the street, or it has a bunch of metaphorical meanings as well, but it could be like I passed the stadium on my right. Well, um, and so like that is an example of how you'll see the different words that combine with guo, and you'll see that guo essentially just means kind of cross in some way or go across some type of plane in some way. And uh, the character you put in front of it indicates the nature of it. So whether or not it was uh, passing by as you're walking down the street, crossing something, uh, surpassing something and all of that, uh, going through it in terms of time, passing through time, passing through space. There's all sorts of different 
ways that you'll use it. And thinking of it at this level, at this stage, is probably not going to be helpful to you because you're just going to see more and more context of characters combining with ghoul in different sentences. So my recommendation for now is not to worry too much about whether it's metaphorical, meta metaphorical or literal, and just... Um, you know, keep reading sentences that contain the character cool, which you will as you continue through the Manor Blooper method. John Grist on Make a Movie for Bien. This is an interesting question. Why is Lee, the top component, drawn before the flying carpet, which is, you know, I think of it as the bottom component, but it does, it is both on the bottom and the left. I thought the left-hand character component would have been drawn first. So for whatever reason, and I don't know exactly what the reason is for this, but for whatever reason, um, the tool component, which is the flying carpet or the road component, is considered on the bottom uh, according to Chinese stroke order. And so uh, if it were on the left, yes, you would put the left-hand uh, component before the right-hand component, but they consider it to be on the bottom, which, you know, it partially is, so they consider it below the main component, and so it's always written after. Uh, that's just how it is, and you'll see as you continue to get more and more characters that have this component. Next, Rick on Make a Movie for um, Hai. This is a, not a very common character. This character is uh, uh, the twelfth year in the Chinese zodiac is its original meaning. So he says, I see that since Hai is the twelfth year in the Chinese zodiac, the sign of the hog, Heizig chose acorn for Hai because acorns are eaten, eaten by wild pigs and Hai can be thought as vaguely resembling an acorn. And I see that the characters using Hai in the, as a component don't have anything to do with twelve or dozen. So I guess acorn would be just as useful as a prop. I already have it as such from my past Japanese study. So, yeah, we went with uh, 12 or dozen uh, because it's the 12th year in the Chinese Zodiac. But, again, it's a rare character. And if you have another prop that you want to use for it, like an acorn, uh, that's perfectly fine. I mean, like, to be honest, the fact that you're still asking me these types of questions, Rick, tells me there's still a part of you that doesn't totally understand what the point of the system is the point is to remember the character's pronunciation and meaning and so like having a prop though that comes after it is going to help you remember the characters that contain this the pronunciation and meaning and particularly the uh the meaning in the case of um a prop so it doesn't really matter what the prop is so long as you remember it now if the props were all random I just said this is an acorn and there was no reason behind it and you couldn't connect to it, eventually it would be too much disparate information for you to remember. So we try to make the props make sense. It's like the prop is going to relate to either the meaning or the appearance of the character. But if for you, you already have a an association with the character that you can use as a prop, yes, of course you can use it because you got to remember what is the goal here. It's just to remember that this component is on the right side or the bottom of a given character. So when you learn Yingai, the guy, which has the megaphone on the left, and in your case, the acorn or the uh, uh, something related to dozen, regardless, as long as you know what the image of the acorn represents, it will help you remember the character guy. So uh, I would just say, if you have that type of question again, that's all you have to ask yourself. Just ask yourself, do I understand 
the, the direct connection between the object in my mind and the component. And if that is solid, it could be literally anything so long as it's solid. Uh, and, you know, usually we try to make it make sense, but it doesn't have to. Like, from a strict technical perspective, as long as you imagine an acorn and it causes you to write the character high on the paper, then success. Next, we have Rick on new vocabulary unlocked for Duoma. It seems that Duoma and Nama and Tuma all seem to mean more or less the same thing. Uh, well, again, more context will make this clearer to you. So as you keep reading them in different sentences, you'll get a sense or a feel for how they're uh, different. But uh, Duoma is not necessarily... Um, indicating in this way or in that way so like um so for example uh right so like that would be i have been so busy lately in this way so in this way busy that's what the jumma means it's like it's got that so much in this way or nama so much in that way and whatever comes out it's like there's an assumption that when I said, so by saying, I'm saying, you have some sense of how busy I've been recently, and so I'm saying busy in this way. Whereas Duoma doesn't necessarily have that. But to be honest, I'm once again in that situation where I'm going, we're gonna, you're gonna have analysis paralysis if you try to make these types of little distinctions between words, because you're essentially using a bunch of English explanations Whereas the answer really is read a bunch of sentences with Duoma, Nama, and Duoma. And you will find that there's just a feeling you have for them and how when you should use one or the other. And so like coming up with the English explanation of how they're different, while it can be maybe intellectually interesting, is ultimately slowing you down. You know, it's like, I'm not saying there's no value in it, but it's like... You could be spending that time reading sentences that have Duoma and uh, Jumma and all that. Um, you know, I'm not saying that you should never think this way. I'm just sort of trying to help reframe and uh, kind of break your frame a little bit about how you're looking at these types of questions. Because I did this a lot in university where we would be like, well, what's the difference between Mi Bu, Bu Chang, Bu Jiu? What's that? What are the differences between those? And it's like trying to explain all that stuff is just extra time you're spending that you could be spending just reading several sentences with the difference. And then when you just read the different sentences, it's like what happens is your brain goes, oh, it's here's the situation I'm in. It's an emergency or it, it's, a, it's a situation where I feel like I really need to make something up to them. And I just say, why did I say in that context? Well, you don't necessarily know consciously. You just read loads of sentences that had bu jiu in it. You had read loads of sentences that had bu chang, and you had lo read loads of sentences that say mi bu. And sure, they all have bu. But because you read those different sentences, uh, you now have a sense of the context. And then when you go to output, your brain goes to the context that makes the most sense based on your input. And it's not a conscious process. So like, the fact that you end up using the correct word when you go to output is it's kind of a phenomenon. It's like an incredible 
phenomenon in a way because you you just end up using it right because you input it. But what's not going to be there for you is your intellectual understanding of the difference because that's not what happens when you're speaking. When you're speaking, you're not thinking about what you're going to say and planning it out well before you speak. It's kind of all happening at the same time. So if you had to think out the rules of differences between words, then that would slow you down. And so we're already hesitant to do that with grammar, but grammar applies a lot more broadly than minor differences between words like duoma, nama, and joma, right? So I guess I'm just imploring you to uh, answer these types of questions more often with the, um, with the answer, I'm gonna just read a bunch of sentences that carry these. Now, if, you're, if you go, well, I haven't seen, I don't know enough characters yet to read enough sentences, then just keep focusing on learning characters, uh, and then you'll go from there. Next question from Petteri Nakamura on It's a Word for Way. What is the difference between way and dui? They both can be used to mean for, right? Well, uh, dui is not really used to mean for. Uh, dui, obviously, one of its meanings is correct or like right. That's that's right, correct, dui, right? But it can also mean towards something. So like um, I mentioned in the last podcast I did, dui mao guomin, which would mean I'm allergic to cats. I'm towards cats, overly sensitive, right? Well, that's the other common way to use dui so it's kind of like towards you can literally you can also say literally so like i'm facing the uh him and i'm speaking um you could use it that way but it's not really used as for uh way or way is used in that way so uh for the work for the people or for the people work that's the thing that uh the government will say a lot. So, um, yeah, really, they're not they're not the same in that way. Neil on learn Mandarin bottom up and top down. He says, "I've been playing with similar ideas when I teach yoga. My main focus is on muscle control, since muscles not only move the body, they allow us to quote unquote feel it. Individual muscles or groups of muscles would be the equivalent of morphemes. Sure." So once I teach a particular muscle activation, I then have students practice practice it in different poses so that they can better learn it and also see how it can be used to make doing a pose easier. More practically, I use it to deal with pain and also to improve flexibility. So sure, because you know your muscles are a part of a larger system and each individual muscle is a component part, but if you can isolate the individual muscle and understand how that fits into the whole system. I'm sure that that helps a lot with yoga. I've done some yoga in in my day. Not I'm a novice at best, but I uh, you know spent some time thinking about how all the muscles connect to each other, and then focusing on one. And sure, learning Mandarin bottom up and top down is a similar type of thing because when you learn bottom up, you're uh, structuring each of the uh, component parts in a way that gives it attention like you're focusing on the individual muscles right but occasionally you need to step out step back from that and go wait but what are we trying to do here in the case of yoga we're trying to have your whole body have a more flexible uh disposition and be more well 
be more aware of your whole body. But in order to do that, you have to break it down into its individual parts. And similarly, like, you know, we're trying to get fluent in Mandarin. We're trying to be able to communicate in the language. Uh, but in order to do that, you really need to learn the component parts. So occasionally you step off, step out and do some top-down learning where you say, what's the way that you get to the, that you ask somebody how to get to the bathroom, right? You need to know that because that's the point of the language. But you also are never going to be able to figure out things uh, organically or eclectically unless you learn the uh, component parts because otherwise the uh, surrounding context is too confusing. You, you can't figure out from the component parts what something means. You can only figure it out from the context and that's just harder on your short-term memory and long-term memory. All right, so uh, just some minor course updates. Uh, we're continuing to add these grammar points and we're going to add them as separate uh, lessons now. At first, we were going to kind of integrate them into the new vocabulary unlocked and uh, it's a word lessons, but we're going to actually just have them be separate lessons and we'll probably keep links to those lessons in the sidebar as we make them. Uh, it's an ongoing process, so, you know, it'll be probably a long time until we finished making grammar videos, but uh, it's going to be something we'll be adding into the podcast each week. And then, uh, of course, we turn the podcast into elements of the uh, course itself and so we've added about 200 videos or so now to the course from phase three to phase five and a even a few in phase six which is just the intermediate intermediate course and so uh that's some minor course updates and let's move on to the movie scene shares and uh, i will say this about the movie scene shares um some of you have been submitting movie scenes uh a lot in the first section of the course, which is perfectly great and that's awesome. That means that for those of you on the course, especially in phases one and two, apart from the videos that Luke and I do that are either myself, Luke, or the guests that we had on the podcast giving their feedback, we also have loads of people leaving comments down below that make a movie lessons. However, the ones that come in the first 105 characters aren't going, if we discuss them on the podcast, they're not going to become course content. So what we'll do is if somebody leaves a bunch, we'll maybe address one of them, but the other ones you guys can check out in the uh, comments section below the videos. And so just bear that in mind that if we're only responding to one of yours, it's probably because it's in the early stages of the course. First one, Tristan Knotts on make a movie for shit, which means to thank. Um, Tristan says, in the bathroom of my engineering school, Shirley Temple sits on top of the shoulders of a Westworld host. Oh, I like it. She has a megaphone in her right hand and a ruler in her left hand, shouting, we will rule the world to her army of Westworld hosts. So, uh, I do like this scene. Everything is in it, except... I'm not seeing where we're getting gratitude or thanks in here. So what we have here is uh, Shirley Temple. That's the XI. We have the uh, engineering school in the bathroom. So that covers your shit pronunciation. The Westworld host is the body or the middle component. The megaphone in her right hand. I assume he's looking at it um, like she's looking at him. So the megaphone is in the right hand. The ruler in the left hand. That's your all your components there. The scene is very vivid right off the bat. Uh, we will rule the world to our army of Westworld hosts. Well, there's not really a, a gratitude here. So, like, we want to get some kind of expression of thanks coming into the scene because that's the meaning of the character. So, 
um, you know, if we've got a army of Westworld hosts, like for example, for me in China, when people are expressing gratitude, they tend to do this. They tend to kind of bow slightly and do this with their hands. And so if I would just imagine the army of Westworld hosts uh, at the moment of getting the orders from the um, uh, megaphone, they start to do that just to each other. And then Shirley Temple starts measuring their, uh, <laughs> their hand gesture and, make, and judging their gratitude levels by the, uh, the ruler. Uh, that could be an easy way to get that involved. Otherwise, good scene. Dom Thompson on Make a Movie for Shul. Now, Dom submitted a load of um, a load of scenes this week, but they were all from the first uh, two phases of the course, so we're going to keep it to just this one in terms of talking about it on the podcast, but thank you so much, Dom, for um, submitting so many great scenes. So this is on Make a Movie for Shul, which means to speak. Sheldon Cooper has been invited to speak about his research outside the entrance to my office. He's struggling to be heard over general muttering, so makes a deal with the devil. The devil turns his mouth into a megaphone, and he continues to speak at a deafening volume. This is an excellent scene. Everything's involved in it. It's fairly simple. Uh, the devil's in it, makes a major contribution. The megaphone is the reason why people can hear you speak. And we even have the double meaning of, uh, you know, giving a speech or, you know, being invited to speak. I mean, I guess it's the same thing, but you get that there's sort of like a different concept surrounding that. And, uh, and then even adding the deafening volume there at the end, great. Uh, it's awesome. I like it. Next, we have uh, Belle Hermelon on Make a Movie for Wong. There's a special exhibition of valuable artifacts in the main room of my ANG set. A glass case sits in the center, showcasing two golden gardening shears slash hedge trimmers from an ancient time. Woody from Toy Story breaks in after hours. The lights are dimmed with just a spotlight on this, on this display. He tiptoes and avoids the red laser beam security system. But just as he inches open the glass case, a net falls down from the roof and siren sounds. He's been caught. I love this scene. Uh, it's got like a lot of tropes in it. Like, you know, I remember the, uh, I forgot the movie, but it was Catherine Zeta-Jones and Sean Connery were in it, and she had to do this whole dance around the uh, lasers that would be the security system. Getting caught in a net is what would happen, potentially. It's one of the things that could happen if you got caught. And uh, we've got the glass case, we've got the hedge trimmers as the main focus with the dim lighting on it. I love it. It's very memorable, and I'm sure that you're going to have no trouble remembering Wong moving into the future. Tyson on Make a Movie for Shen, which means deep. All Sean wanted for Christmas was a super soaker, left-hand component. Uh, sitting on the porch of my EN set, his folks hand him a Pringles can, which is what he set for the top component, and tell him that what he was hoping for would be inside. In this Pringles can? Seriously? With a knowledge uh, and encouraging look, his dad says, it's a special can, deeper than it looks. He reaches in and pulls out a Christmas tree. What's the final component there? Whoa, this is a deep can. But I wasn't hoping for a tree, Sean says. Dig deeper. There's something more that was under the tree. He reaches to the bottom and pulls out a super soaker. <laughs> I love it. That's great. We got the three components involved uh, directly. Um, and of course, he's got to go even deeper. I like that. And so depth is, is expressed pretty well. Uh, and of course... 
that's a good example of how you he utilized exaggeration, right? So um, obviously a Pringles can is not that deep, but that's the main like piece of magic in the scene is that it gets deeper. So that being the only main thing that changes through that exaggeration, um, it expresses the meaning of deep quite well. Like it. Michael Rochford on Make a Movie for Ghoul, which means uh, fruit or... Um, yeah, it's usually fruit. It says Goofy, 1000 Oaks Bedroom, Brain Tree. Yeah, so that's our... Uh, yeah, because we have bedroom for third tone and Thousand Oaks, I guess, has something to do with uh, O. Yeah, O, Oaks. And then Goofy is the Goo, so Ghoul. And then we have the two components are Brain and Tree. Goofy is in the bedroom at 1000 Oaks playing brain games. The question that is posed to him is, what kind of fruit grows on trees? He scratches his head, beats on his head as if to clear his brain, but finally gives up. As he munches down on an apple, he answers with, are tomatoes a fruit? In his goofy voice. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny because he obviously uh, uh, has... <laughs> he, that's, you know, in character for Goofy to not see what's obviously right in front of him. And uh, he's... Uh, yeah, I like it. Brain games and he's actually literally scratching his brain. Maybe he... Uh, the, his brain actually falls out of his head briefly as he's trying to... Uh, uh, beat on his head just to get it visually in the scene but otherwise I like it Rick on make a movie for one the only association I have for 10,000 so as to avoid just to, so as to avoid just trying to remember what number 1,000 100,000 is the grand old Duke of York who had 10,000 men he marched them uh, etc but there's a lot of extra props the duke the men the hill any other ideas i don't think that there's a need to change that because you know the duke of york who had 10,000 men the association of 10,000 men like either you can imagine all 10,000 men or you can just make it the duke of york if you think that the duke of york would be enough and it probably would be uh you know that that should be enough. I don't think you need to change to anything else. I mean, there's possibly other associations with ten thousand. And actually, it's worth noting that in Chinese, that's where they draw the distinction between, uh, like you know, in the West we have one thousand, um, one million, one billion. That's where you have the commas. So if you have one thousand, you have one comma. If you have one million, you have two commas. If you have uh, one billion, you have three commas. And um, in Chinese, they draw that line at 10,000, not at 1,000. So uh, in Chinese, there's a lot of things that are related to 10,000. But of course, that, that presupposes that you know some of those things in China. But nonetheless, though, I think the Duke of York should be fine for you, Rick. Kathleen Gans on Make a Movie for One to finish. When my sister and I were kids and goofing off, my dad would say, girls, put a lid on it, time for supper, as in finish what you're doing. When I see this character, I think finish, i.e. put a lid, which is the roof prop on it. So like, I think that's fine. And of course there are a lot of other characters that have the roof prop, but because you're connecting it to that particular uh, thing that your dad said, which also happens to mean finish, you know, put a lid on it means it's time to finish. Uh, that's perfect. I like it. Jack on Make a Movie for Hoyt. H.U. character surrounded by clouds holds umbrella above his head and sings, I will survive. Right? So this means will 
I Will Survive is in the title. And music is great for having a simple, especially for abstract things. And uh, he's surrounded by clouds and holds an umbrella above his head while singing I Will Survive. It's kind of zany, but I like it. it. Jack, I would be curious to hear if you still remember that one because that's like a grand slam of a story when you can make a scene that's so simple, right? And yet memorable. It's so funny when that happens. Sometimes you make the simplest scenes and they still stay in your head, despite the fact that you have other scenes that are like way very complex and they have lots of stuff going on. But nonetheless, that's some that's a good one. I like it. Neil on Make a Movie for Ming. Neil is another one who submitted a lot of movies from the first two phases, so I'm just gonna address this one, but uh, you know, thanks for all of your submissions as usual. Neil on Make a Movie for Ming. Had a friend named Melody back when I was first learning Ashtanga Yoga. We were all practicing together and she kept asking me for the next pose because she couldn't remember. So now I can think of how smart she is remembering the first series, aka the sun, and the second series, the moon. Note, I've learned the Tangjie input method where the sun is, is the letter A and moon is letter B, an extra set of hooks I can use. So that's good. So you're getting a sense of... Uh, that's a really good set of connections to your own life. So you have the sun and the moon poses in yoga, which clearly, Neil, you have a lot of connections to yoga. Um, it's connected to a person that you knew, and it's even connected to an input method you have on, uh, you know, your computer or phone. And so, yeah, great set that you're, you're figuring out the different sources of meaning that you can travel through. Tyson on Make a Movie for Tsie, which means to cut. Or chop. Shu Qi has set up a small chop shop in the front yard of my E set. It's a unique place. Not only is the work done by seven dwarves, they are especially skilled at doing all the chopping with Bowie knives, which are the two components, the seven dwarves and the knives. Love it. Yep, got the chop shop and it's in the right location, so perfect. Nothing to uh, nothing to critique. It's, it's a good scene. Jack on Make a Movie for K. K character dancing the can-can on the bed of the E location while trying to nail a huge nail into a can. Rolling Stone's mouth appears by his left elbow and shouts, You can do it! <laughs> Love it. So, once again, we have a very simple scene from Jack that gets across uh, this abstract concept, but also uh, gets the literal homonym there. So we have... Uh, you know, you can do it is the real meaning of this character, but he, ha he gets a huge nail into a can, which is, of course, the uh, homonym in English and is more physical, physically able to imagine than the idea of a ability, like you can do it, as opposed to a literal, like, can of soup. I like it. Petri on Make a Movie for Fa. Method is so, quote-unquote, method is so common a meaning for this character that I decided to go for the other main meaning, which is law. I also ended up mixing other elements to remind me of other associations too, namely Buddhism and France. Frank Sinatra is sitting in my A-set bedroom with the great wave of Kanagawa hanging on the wall in the background. Right, I think I know what you're talking about there, that famous painting. In front of him, there is a go board across where... Uh, across which a serene Siddhartha Gautama playing with him. All right, nice. So we have the props in the wave of Kanagawa and the Go board. Go is, of course, the, a game that's very popular in Asia. And next to the two 
sits a lawyer in an expensive French suit, uh, beret, and curly mustaches watching that they don't break any of the sacred laws of the game. Nice. Uh, so, awesome. I, um, I love it. There's, there's definitely a lot going on in terms of your um, associations because fa can be, can be in Fogwall, which is why France is in there. We have the laws of the game. I like it. Um, and uh, that's always allowed. You know, you don't have to only focus on our keyword, but just remember that, like, there's definitely no need to learn uh, separate uh, meanings at the same time. So, like, even though a character can often have more than one meaning, often it doesn't matter. It's like the experience of it is that you learn the primary meaning, you learn how to read it, right? You learn how to recognize it on the page and say it with the right pronunciation. And so if there are alternate meanings, as you get more and more context with sentences and paragraphs and all of that, and you get to see lots of comprehensible input, the only thing you need to adjust is that, okay, fa normally means method, but in this case, it means French. And the surrounding context makes that clear enough. Uh, it's really way easier than you imagine it would be when you're first starting off. So even though it's always allowed to do what uh, Petri has done here and um, add in these extra associations, it's definitely not necessary. Next, we have Kika on Make a Movie for Xiang. And uh, in case any of you are interested, we recently did a case study with Kika. Uh, and she is having a great time with the Mandarin Blueprint Method and has a very interesting story. Feel free to check that one out. Um, it's on the Mandarin Blueprint YouTube channel. Um, and so Kika's scene for Xiang, which means each other. I was hiding behind a palm tree at the entrance of my estranged husband's house. So that covers the pronunciation uh, of the, the location, tone, uh, covers the final. And I saw my ex with uh, Xiomara. So that's the beginning of the, the initial. So we have Xiang there, uh, or Xiang in this case. And so I see my ex and Xiomara lustfully eyeballing each other. Wow, I thought she was my friend. How could she do this to me? So you get the emotion added in there. And of course, the idea of eyeballing each other is definitely a very mutual thing, you know. Um, and so I like the association. You have everything involved. The palm tree is a good type of tree to have. It's very memorable. Uh, and it's also a palm tree is often out of place depending on where you are. I mean, sometimes if you're in a tropical place, a palm tree will make sense. But if one of your sets is in a cold place and you have a palm tree, it makes it more memorable. Uh, I like it. Awesome. Next, Petteri on Make a Movie for S, which means to operate or in operation. Sylvester Stallone, outside of the entrance to my childhood home, wearing a hood and a rolling stone's mouth to cover half of his face, and with a giant razor blade in his hands, ready to operate on the lock in order to steal everything inside. Nice. Straightforward. Sylvester Stallone being looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine him like uh, making some sort of sounds like he might have made when doing Rocky while struggling to use a giant razor blade to operate on a lock. That could add some humor to it. Next we have uh, Rick on two movies for Zuo and Yo, which are mean left and right. So let's go over Zuo first. My ZU character is in my local swimming pool, hold, which is his O uh, set holding an I-beam in her left hand, trying to stuff it in the holster 
on her left side, while her right arm is out of view underwater trying to swim. Right, I like it. Yeah, so that, that makes it clear that it's the left, and uh, you should be able to imagine that pretty clearly. Left side, left hand, um, got the eye beam there, trying to stuff it in. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's maybe, um, you know, like one thing you can always think of, it's uh, the left hand... And they always told us in school, like, if you put your left hand, it's the one that makes an L when you're looking at it. So if, you, if you're uh, looking at your two hands, which one makes the L there? You can maybe have her do that as well, just to indicate for sure that left is the point. Um, and that might work. Now let's go to Yo. He says, my actor has her right hand stuck in her holster and so is gripping the holster in her mouth, trying to pull her hand out. Sure, yeah, I think that as long as maybe you can actually tactily imagine your right hand in there, and you know, uh, most people are right-handed, maybe you are as well, and so that feels a lot more, like if you were left-handed, it would feel this way too if your left hand was stuck, stuck. but if your dominant hand, if your dominant hand is stuck in some way, that feels, more worrisome than if it was your non-dominant hand because it, losing it would be more of a problem. So, uh, I like it. Petrion, make a movie for Kwai. Kwai Gunjin has to beat Data, the android, juggling a horse head and a model of the Big Ben to gain passage off the planet. Confident that his Jedi powers will help him beat this adversary, just before the event, he is in the bathroom of my AI set, practicing with the items and watching a video of Data's performance with his phone. His expression is growing worried as the horse head and the Big Ben model move faster and faster and become a blur in Data's hands-on video. So you get the visualization of faster and faster, which is the way to kind of show contrast. So things are moving really slow and then they get faster. And uh, of course, he add, uh, Petteri adds in the emotional state of Qui-Gon Zinn preparing there and um, gets the two... Uh, props involved and maybe in a way that's somewhat contrived but then again on the other hand just because something's contrived doesn't mean that it, it won't be memorable you just have to make sure the other elements of the scene are clear next on the petri again on the next character which is also pronounced quiet but this one means like a lump or the um measure word for uh money so you like uh for e quiet rmb is one rmb or e quiet made zin is one dollar all right, so Qui-Gon Jinn has soiled himself in the face of Data's android dexterity and the prospect of never leaving the planet. Yet he still practices juggling the uh, he still practices juggling the horse head and the Big Ben model in the AI set bathroom with the pieces of his phone lying around him. <laughs> so I guess he left a lump in his pants by soiling himself. <laughs> and I like how he kept the scene going from the previous, um, the previous scene. And yeah, it looks like, uh, we got all the elements there. So awesome. Just like with Kwai, meaning fast, this Kwai, uh, also is going to have Kwai Gunjin and it's also going to have the, um, horse head and the big Ben model, uh, and which is what he uses for Da there. And so perfect. Kika and make a movie for Sin. Siomara is playing in the porch with Frankenstein, my boyfriend's old dog. Okay, so Frankenstein's name of the old dog. <laughs> All of a sudden, its heart stops beating and he falls to the floor. She has to act quickly. She inserts three needles in the middle of it 
of its chest and hooks them to an electrical outlet. Ah, yeah, cool, nice, got it. In the middle of it, uh, of its chest, and hooks them to it. Yeah, sorry. After a minute or so, she revives him. The dog looks at her wa at her with such intense feelings of gratitude. Of course, that comes from the heart. I like it. So we got the um, the three needles, which are kind of the representations of what might be eyedroppers for some of you, but needles is fine. And then uh, the hook uh, to the electrical outlet. And of course, we always associate the you know electricity to get a heart beating again. You know, the clear. You know, all of that. And so. All these associations make perfect sense, and of course, intense feelings of gratitude. That sounds like feelings that come from the heart, because the heart has literally been saved. I like it. Covering all the bases. Petrion, make a movie for U, which means Jade. Anubis is in the bathroom of my childhood home, harnessing the power of his realm of death, uh, and then lights dim, and an ominous present of dark powers fills the room as air starts to ripple in his hands and the energy condenses into a glistening drop of liquid floating in the air. The drop then expands and solidifies into a glistening jade scepter of a king with the power of the underworld. My prop for this is a jade scepter. Awesome. That's a pretty dark scene. I like, you can imagine lots of background music, lots of slow motion in this one. The, there's a, a feeling in the air in this scene. You know, you've got, uh, Gosh, yeah, I, like the, I like the language you use here too, like the, into a glistening drop of liquid floating into the air, and that's the you know the um, the prop there in the bottom, and then uh, the scepter of a king. It's like it's great. This is a cool and epic scene, I would say. Kiko and make a movie for Xiao. Xiomara found my estranged husband performing a ritual in the living room with a large wooden eyeball. This totem has special powers, he explained. It will allow me and my wife to look into each other's heart so that we can think alike and have a good relationship. I miss her so much. Laughing, Shiomaro replied, forget it, man. She already has another boyfriend. <laughs> I like it. And uh, so we've got the uh, living room of the estranged husband's house with Shiomaro covering, um, covering the pronunciation. And then, of course, we've got the uh, the wooden eyeball is the... Okay, right, so the wooden eyeball is going to be the top component entirely. And being able to look into each other's hearts. And then we can think alike. Because, of course, yeah, sure, you want to think alike in a relationship. I get that. And that's a clear enough association. So, awesome. Final scene for today is Kiko and make a movie for Xi. A feng shui consultant told Xiomara to place a mirror outside the entrance of the home to invite positive energy in. However, her friends tell her that every time they look at themselves in the mirror, the reflection they see takes their breath away. They can actually see the hearts being squeezed so hard that afterwards they all need to rest before they can do anything else. Uh, so, right. Okay, so the, the mirror... Um, I think the mirror is what she has for self because you see yourself in the mirror and so that'll be the top component and takes their breath away and you can actually imagine that happening like you look in the mirror and, and then like all of a sudden all your breath is gone and then literally seeing the hearts uh, <laughs> get squeezed I think that's um, definitely a great scene and uh, once again if you guys want to see the uh, 
case study we did with Kika. She's a very interesting. She has a very interesting approach to the um, hands of movie method uh, that I think any everybody should know about because you always want to know what's the I'm super motivated. I'm ready to learn lots and I want to get through this quickly type of approach. But also what's the I'm taking it easy. I'm taking my time and I'm in no particular rush type of approach. It's good to know both. That's the Dow. You want to you want to be aware of how to have not only a highly motivated uh, productive approach, but also a like, hey, if I were to do it the way that I want to do it and do it in a way that's enjoyable, how would I approach it? And if you have those two in balance, then you'll not miss any days. Um, that's the overall key is not to miss any days. It doesn't matter that you ran up the mountain today or walked up the mountain. The key is just that you made some progress. So we'll leave it there today for the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. Thank you so much for watching and we'll see you next time.